Hello and welcome to a new episode of The Lowdown. Today I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Paul McGuinness, former academy coach at Man United and coach developer at the FA. Paul, welcome to the show. Connor, great to be on. Chatting football uh, is probably my specialist subject, yeah, that's what I like to do the most, so that's nice to do that sort of transatlantic as well, yeah. You're certainly in the right place then. Um, Paul, as we begin by asking every guest at the start of every show, what was your earliest football memory? My earliest football memory is really clear to me. It was like playing in the garden with my dad. I'd probably be about four years of age. And at that time, he was pro- he, he was likely to be the manager of Man United then at that time or the, or the head coach. So I didn't. you don't really know that as you're going up. You get the kit and you get all that sort of stuff, but you don't realise. So I had my first bit of coaching by the manager of Man United. Um and I remember passing the ball back and forth, kicking it to him, and he and he bent the ball. He, he curved it, and I, and I remember thinking, "Wow!" How did I asked him, "How do you do that?" And he said, "Well, if you come more from the side, and and you hit the ball on the outside, and you follow through round to where you want the ball to go, it'll bend." And wow, I was like, it was a thunderbolt moment. You know, it was like, and I, I've been captivated ever since with like what the ball does. If you know what's the effect on it, how do you? How do you put spin on it, or how do you how do you kick it? How do you all the different things you can do with the ball? And that was me then against the, the garage ball and, and and playing on my own, or just experimenting with the ball. Yeah, you know, you know, a follow up question I have for most guests, then Paul, is had you a formative experience that kind of drew you into coaching? But to ask yourself that would be kind of ridiculous in the fact in. In essence, seeing as though you had your father as a role model growing up. Yeah. But there there's so many intricacies about your growing up there at United. You were a player, you were a coach. In fact, you were a coach there for over 20 years, producing 90 plus um first team players. But I had listened somewhere in a previous podcast, don't know if you can verify this, that you had in fact played a little bit of Sunday League with Norma Whiteside and Sir Bobby Charlton. Uh there was it, it, well, it wasn't with Norman. I played with Norman in the reserves at Man United because in the old days, if you didn't play in the first team, you played in the reserves. So I was fortunate. I was If I played in the reserves, the, the, the forwards at the time were Alan Brazil, Frank Stapleton, Mark Hughes and Norman Whiteside. So, and they all played in the reserves if they didn't play in the first team. So on a Wednesday, say, if they, if they hadn't had a play, I could play with Mark Hughes and Norman Whiteside. And the next week it might be Frank Stapleton, and and and, and that was the great. That's why uh, you know the games program was better in those days because you played with the best of players, and and Norman was. Um, they remember him. Everybody remembers him, I suppose, is that you know the, the the guy who broke Pele's record in the World Cup. Um, but it's just you know because he was so big and strong and aggressive. That's the thing that maybe sticks in the mind. I can tell you he was one of the most skillful players I've ever seen, really, ever played with. It was a joy to play with. If you played it up to him, you knew you knew you were getting the ball back, you know. And um, he had an incredible vision and temperament, you know. Uh, it's only injuries stopped him really being one of the United absolute greats, you know, with about 500 appearances or what have you, you know. And we speak about optimal learning environments an awful lot in the show. I mean, Manchester United, no better case. But what is it exactly, Paul? Is it perhaps the practice that takes place or is it the individuals and the leaders at the helm? Um, for, for United, how they've done well over the years. You say, yeah. Well, it, it goes back. Is it, it's really the way back in history. Uh, a culture, even to before Sir Matt Busby got there, they had a, 
what was called the Mujax, the Manchester United Junior Athletic Club. And that was trying to get young players in. And, and not many clubs were doing that. They were doing that in the 40s, even before the uh, 30s and 40s, before uh, Matt Busby got there. But when he did, he had that idea of youth and then started what was the, the Busby Babes with the scouting of the top players throughout the country. So they they got, you know, top young players. So you had Duncan Edwards was captain of England. My dad was captain of England. Then Bobby Charlton was in the same England team as my dad. You know, they were getting some of the top players in Ireland, Billy Whelan, uh, top players in Scotland and so on. So they, uh, but the big difference was he played them. He played them when they were 17, 18. So that became a culture, that Busby Babes, Cavalier style from, you know, you got young lads, you see, say, Bellingham now playing for England as if he's playing in the park. And I get the feeling that's how they were. And that's that's what was so attractive about the way they played. All young lads growing up together. Um, but part of the way they, they can play like that is because they played since the age of 14, 15 together. They won the Youth Cup together. So there was my dad, Bobby Charlton, Eddie Coleman, Duncan Edwards, so on. They played. Uh, they got three Youth Cup winners medals. And only the Chelsea lads recently have ever done that since. But you imagine all the connections you, you, you get growing up together. And the, and, and the, the, um, the uh, class of 92 are the same. Two youth cup finals in a row, won one, lost one, um, played in the reserves altogether. You get all these connections. And um, this is a great thing about the youth policy that Busby realised that those players will have a greater affinity for your club. They'll be more loyal. They'll, they'll be a band of brothers, a family, really. And if you've got a core like that at your club, um, then adding in players from outside, top class players, you'll have a great. And they did obviously two massive periods of success under Busby and Ferguson. Um, and people forget, you know, oh yeah, we'll buy five new players in the summer and we get a new manager. And they forget the new manager's got a different way of playing and different tactics, different, you know, and then they've got new players, new they've got to get into new houses, new families, you know, families are coming up. It's hard to get all those connections straight away. So you could see how the idea of that. And then obviously that we carried that on. And then a lot of the staff they had at United were ex-players. So you had Brian Kidd, who played in the European Cup final. Jimmy Ryan was in the European Cup final, 68 run. Uh, a guy called John Cook uh, played in the 60s. Tony Whelan in the 70s. Mark Dempsey, myself, Brian McClare, McFeelan. So then now you've got people who are already, they don't have to in, be integrated. They already understand the thread of it. And it does become like a family then, yeah. Um so that's the sort of secret behind it. You, you feel, you've got people who almost feel it. And football's a lot about feel and connections between people, you know? That's interesting what you brought up there for a finish, about the feel of football. Because, you know, there's something to be said there about the proximity of road models in the building and that institutionalised knowledge being passed on amongst generations. I mean, undoubtedly, we can argue to hell or high water about the state of the current game but it seems to be a lot more transactional than the game that you were introduced to growing up that bit of feel that kind of bit of institutionalized knowledge do you have a suspicion that's been lost in the modern game paul yeah i mean in for all the right reasons uh people you know put in it all in probably most sports now they've they've gone for uh this multidisciplinary approach and in theory yeah of course, it's going to help if you have the best sports science, the best um, 
you know, the best psychologists. You've got to get all of that mixed together, coaching, goalkeeper coach, assistant coach, so on. Part of the problem, though, then is to this, in all the clubs, all the academies here, there's so many of these people and they want to make the next step. So they want to go to be from the under-13s to the 18s. If they don't do that, they want to move clubs. So there's a little bit of a, a, a swirl and a churn to that, which means that stability you get um, can, you know, can be lacking. So take, for instance, when my dad was at Man United in the 60s, there was Sir Matt Busby was the manager. Joe, uh, Joe Armstrong was the chief scout. Um, then you had um, Jimmy Murphy was the assistant manager who also took the youth team in reserves. My dad was on the staff. Jack Crompton, there's about Jack Crompton was on the staff. Johnny asked, there's about six of them. And when Liverpool were winning uh, the league in the 70s and 80s, Bob Paisley, Shankly, you know, they passed it all on, didn't they, to to each guy, um, you know, five or six of them in the boot room. So they've got that knowledge bank that stays together. Now, of course, you, you can't do that just nowadays. There's not, you, 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 you need more people, but the more people you've got, the more connections there are, and the more different people you've got, there's more. So there's a strength to it, but also a weakness in the fact that there's probably a number where once you go past that number, the, the connections, it gets too complex to, to have the thread, you know, it can be very difficult. And especially if you don't, if you keep people together for a long time, I mean, a lot of people at Man United there for 20 odd years altogether, then you get to know each other. It's, you, you get that, that bind. Because you, you want people to come from outside and give a different idea, but that idea is then passed on to a stable stability, you know. There's probably no greater threat than the great man himself, Sir Alex Ferguson, who seemingly, for me, on the outside, he seemed to get the correct balance between obviously driving that internal development, keeping that tradition at United, whilst also taking from the outside. I mean, how important was Sir Alex's head of culture at the time and upholding those standards within the football club? Well, that was it. That was, he was the he was everything. You see, when he left, you know, you see there was a there was a change, obviously, in standards. Somebody else comes in, somebody else comes in, and the standards change. His his uh, his his greatest strength was the way he connected everybody to make like like them feel like they were valued and a valuable part of a you know of a machine that's working. Um, so whoever it was, the gate man, the kit man, uh, the laundry ladies, the ladies behind the canteen, always they felt like they were a part of it. I felt like I was part of it. And I didn't need a lot of encouragement because the biggest encouragement I've got is the greatest manager ever has chosen me for a really important role. And now that's enough. But then when he gives you a little pat on the back or some advice, that makes you feel 10 feet tall and you just don't want to let that guy down, you know? Uh, and and he. But also, you didn't want to let his standards drop because you didn't want that hairdryer. That was for sure. You didn't. You didn't want that coming in. Um, but yeah, and if that did come when he did it, it was all about standards or loyalty to the team, you know, and so on. Um, so yeah, when you when you have someone like him or Mur uh, Busby Murphy, those people, um, and at Liverpool, you know, when they had Shankly, Bob Paisley, all those who were. They're keeping a, a, a standard, a tradition going. Yeah, that's that's huge, yeah. And given the state of the modern game, do you think we'll see their likes ever again? We always say no, but then some somebody comes up who's a great, don't they? You know, in you know, in all sorts of sports, whether it be basketball with 
with Jackson or whoever else, you know, um, somebody come, comes up. The, 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 way of, the way of football is to change the manager every two years. That happens everywhere. But you just have to say not many people get a lot of success with that. You know, it mostly ends up in failure because, you know, people think it's, oh, because everybody can play it. Everybody can play it and keep the ball about. Oh, it's a simple game. But there's so many more layers to it um, than that. And the connections you need between between the players and in terms of, say, the system, like Guardiola goes there and he, he imprints different system. And then there's another layer of the system beneath it that we can change. If this happens, we can change to that. That happens there. And now he's, he's, he's got to the layer of, yeah, but this player is better playing in this match than this match. These two are more compatible together with these two. And these, so there's layer upon layer of, of um, work that goes into it. So you, if you change a manager every six months, how can they ever get that continuity and stability in what's a really complex job? 22, more than that, 24 guys. All, all, all you've got to get them into the same wavelength and, and the coaching and so on. It's a lot more complex than people think. Yeah, and I think it's only we discussed this off camera. You know, we speak of these synchronicities. There are synchronicities behind camp um, that basically they usurp any bit of comprehension, you know, and you can't really skip steps. You know, so for instance, it's having the, the actions and the intentions aligned all throughout the club. And um, one of the greater things that was made known to me that we we're speaking about off cameras, the interdisciplinary approach that you had at Man United for developing young players, which I'd like you to elaborate upon because to have so many different departments working in the service of one player on the foundational level is terrific. Well, to be, to be fair, you know, it's like seven years since I left there and probably the, the in England, this elite performance plan probably came in about 10 years or so. So we didn't have the full interdisciplinary team. We didn't have the analysts. We didn't have the cameras on every training session while I was there, which I think that's, it. that's one of the biggest bonuses you can get when you've got the opportunity to use that. As long as you use it in the right way, you don't overanalyze and, and, and really freeze the players. But if you use it well, it's one of the best tools you can ever have to have a good analyst who, who's working alongside you, knows what you're looking for uh, and can show and help develop the players and they can see their progress against certain things you're trying to do with certain interactions, say, um, is vital. But we didn't have so much of it. We had some guys, uh, Mike Clegg, who did weights, did with them the first team, did you know power, power and speed and so on. Um, but we didn't have uh, at that time the same fully integrated program. Which, yeah, you have to you have to evolve that in, and that's the work I did at the FA. I was working with the FA and saw that a lot of the coaches looking at team things, so they're looking at the high press, the mid block, the five three two against the four three three, which is all essential work. And what we did is is well, what I saw was they were doing that, but they didn't understand the individual skills to receive or, or to lose a marker or to defend or connections, the pass and receiver. They weren't so good at that. They didn't see that. So we started looking at, I started to sort of devise from some of the work I'd done before, an observational tool where we zoom in and we look at the player from the head to the toe. We look at them before, during and after receiving. And I had, I came up with sort of six capabilities. You could call them for skills. So one was positioning 
and I've, I've tagged alongside that body orientation. So if you've got your back to goal, side on, when do you change those? Then scanning. So how often do you look and scan over your shoulder, you know, and then um, to see, you know, where's the position of the players, the space, the, the opposition, the ball. Um, and then I did all movement skills. Right, let's look at movement skills. So that can be a whole body movement, body, arms, legs, footwork, and then the speed, the changes of speed, um, the stop and start, uh, transitions between one set of footwork to the next or movement, all these sort of things. And I looked at deception, which is hide, hide, hiding your intentions, which might be positionally going offside, or it might be in view, uh, not offside, it could be blindside or offside. And then it was um, it, it just maybe just having neutral body language so nobody could read your cues. Or it might be disguised, showing one action and then another. So come short to go long, go long to come short. Or on the ball and making it look like it's going one way, but then changing with very small late movements. And then we looked at timing. How do you get the coordination of that? Coordination of, of each, each thing's in a pattern. And um, and all the different techniques. What's the actual technical excuse? So we're looking at all those things um, to see how we can improve. So within that, we need the whole team. There's a lot of things to look at there for individuals. So we need the whole interdisciplinary team to be able to look at that through that lens and see what we're all seeing in terms of football movements, but then also be able to add from their bias or expertise. You know, so they, they might be really good on speed, endurance or, or, or fitness or somebody else is just looking at the psychology of it, the fitness coach, or it might be a defensive coach, a defender or an attacker looking at it in their certain way so that instead of having a team that's multidisciplinary where everybody adds their little bit of expertise, we're looking to see if we can have a, not a, a multidisciplinary team but an interdisciplinary team that mixes so that, you know, the saying, the whole is greater than the parts. So at the moment, because it's a young discipline, multidisciplinary work, it's been sort of a little bit siloed. Do fitness guys do their bit on their own? The analysts do the bit on their own? The coaches? And, and to mix it, you need to look through the same lens at the same football. So it might be, say, a striker's movement, coming short, spinning, opening up there, and running sideways to create a gap and looking over their shoulder to give a signal to the passer. So now we've got to all look at that. And what does the fitness guy say? Well, how do we get the feet going quickly? What's the transition from one movement to the other? How do we swing the hips around? So everybody's got to look at it in their own way. And in that sense, the only way you can make the whole bigger than all, all of the, the sum of the parts is if the connections between each one are really good. And I think this is the next sort of evolution of this multidisciplinary team is for everybody to be able to mix and not not add, well, it's their own bias, their own background, but then that then creates a shared team expertise. I think that's the, the way it needs to go. Um, that's sorry, there's a long, long sort of oh, answer. No, no, not, a, not at all. Very interesting. And it's always a few insights here in my part. But um, like if you're going in then as head of development at a football club, Paul, I mean, how does this come to life? Yeah, that's that is the the big question. It depends on the openness and curiosity to change and develop and of of the, of all the staff. 
And that is one of the things, because it's a new discipline and it's a new um, thing only going so, not even a decade probably yet, everybody's got working in a certain way and then people don't want to always change and then they want their own they want their own department they want their own bit that they want control of everybody wants a piece of the action um but i think you find you know quite often this will happen uh they go out they go out with a sports science fitness guide they do a load of uh, exercises to warm up some speed work some whatever they do and um over to the coach and in that time the coach is not looking at what they're doing He's chatting with the other coach or they're setting up some. So it's as if like what they're doing is not really part, but it should be. Whatever their movements are, they should be looking. They should all know who needs to improve on what. And then the same thing when when it changes over and, and they go over, sometimes that fitness guy will go in and he'll be doing a week session with someone else or he's on the computer or because he's got, now once he's done that work, he's got to see that work within the game because that's what the what it's for so this is why that looking through that lens is really good because it helps you see what's the key interactions how do they lose their, their marker at that point when we were doing i was at blackburn rovers yesterday supporting a coach and he wanted to look at a theme of one touch finishing so we looked at some clips of ronaldo and his footwork before receiving the ball you know was was amazing you know to that last bit to finish and or maneuver his body but I would say even in, within the finishing, all the interdisciplinary team have got to know there's probably f- four sections to it, I would say. I would say is there's the connection with the passer. So how do you get that p- connection with the passer to say, this is where I want the ball? And you can't do that too soon because the defender's going to read it, but it's a late one. It's eye contact. Now it's the speed of your body movement because that gives him the signal you want it. And then it might be you're turning to get your chest forward and say, that's where I want the ball. Now it's your foot movement opening up that gives a signal. And at the same time, the other compartment, second compartment of it is I've got to lose my marker. So I'm also losing him with speed, but I might be losing him with deception. So I might make a run one way as he turns and looks that way. Now I have to make a second run, you know, and it's the change of speed that does it. So I've got to know that. Now that well, that's all relevant to the fitness coach. Who's got to know about the change of speed, the timing of the movement? He's got to know how he opens his hips or how he makes a transition from one run one way to the next. And then he's into, right, now now he's getting through and he's looking at the goalkeeper. So he's got a, it's a duel with the goalkeeper now. Now that might be maintain disguise or something. A lot of them yesterday, Ronaldo's hitting them before the goalkeeper's set. So he's got to know about the duel with the goalkeeper. So now he's got to hit it on the run. And sometimes with a short back lift, now, to do that, as I was saying just before, his foot pattern has got to really change. Sometimes it's like a little flutter step. Bup, 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 bup. So he gets the right, he gets his body and everything in the right way. You see Harry Kane doing it all the time. And now he gets to finish. And that's physical, isn't it, as well? So it's not just the technical thing. So how do we get enough practice of that? And if the, the fitness coach and, and, the, and the coaches are all into that, because I can tell you, yesterday he had... 14 players or whatever. You can't you can't do that on your own, that detail with 14 players. You know? So the fitness coach needs to be there. And I had that, I had that when I was coaching some of the England teams that was come to the ball, open up, run, run sideways to get to open up the space. And I had a group of six or eight, six players, I think, forwards. And I only had 15 minutes because in those camps you don't get a lot of time. And one of them couldn't do it. 
he was running backwards and stuttering a bit. Now, I had no time to coach him there. There was no time, nothing. But if I'd have had a fitness coach who knew that movement, he could have taught, been helping to teach him that movement on the side in two minutes. And he might have had him back in the practice doing it well, you know? So that 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 move, that sort of uh, working in conjunction really helps. And, it, of course, it really helps the other way. If you're in the gym and they're doing some, I don't know, box jumps to jump, and 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 they think, oh, what's what's all this about? You could be, you know, the the coach could be back in the physio, the fitness guy so much. So, well, look, yeah, this is a Ronaldo at the far post. That video, up and bang, you know, and that's your stomach working and your, you know, your core. So all all those things, I think, they mix and merge so much, and that's what I think the interdisciplinary team should be aiming to do. And to echo that point, you delivered a really, really insightful anecdote on Reese's <coughs> podcast, the Soccer Science Podcast, which I deplore everyone to check out about Marcus Rashford and his development, you know, which was a terrific intersection between the observational tool and the interdisciplinary approach. But Rashford bursting on the scene as a 13, 14-year-old lightning striker, winger. Um, unfortunately, due to growth spurts, he developed Osgood Schlatter's. He was used in conjunction with that more as a 10 going through the age groups before he made another jump then before he was first team ready. You may be delivered you may be able to give a little bit more insight than I Paul. We've well, given half the story there. That was yeah, a good well, memory on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, he was research. he was slim, quite small, very skillful, quick winger, 13, 14, uh, really exciting. And then he got yeah, I was good slatter. So his knees he couldn't. He just couldn't run as much, sprint as much, and he didn't stop training altogether. The coaches worked with him, rested him, brought him on as a sub, put him in a position where he didn't have to sprint as much, say number ten or, or in midfield a little bit, and um, and but he was a bit, he was fed up with it, you know. A few people said, "Oh, he's a bit of a moody character." And they said, "No, no, he's just, he's just like really fed up that he can't do what he'd like to do." You know, it's hard for kids when when that happens to them. They, you know. They, it's, it's hard to understand. They can't run like they used to. But then he started to come out a bit about 16, still slim, uh, not not that strong. And he played in the under-18 team that I had as a schoolboy. And then the next year came full-time. He kept working with him as a winger and so on. And then, yeah, this is where you would work with a sports science. We go, well, look, he looks like he's strong enough now this second year. So he's 17, coming into his second year. We said to him, look, we want to add advance your game, progress it, so you're not, you can play up front as well as on the wing. So we started to do a lot of exercises and, and, and games for all the movements to teach him how to prepare blindside of his opponent, how to move his opponent to create space, how to get the connection between the pass and receiver, the timing, the footwork to open up, all these things. Um, and we did it in the centre circle, so that made it clearer where and put like almost a, 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 a cross at the time, but so if you pull to one side, you've got space, great. If the defender comes to that side with you, well, you're going to go to the other side. So that was like a, what you need is, it's not just the run. It has to be creating the picture for the passer at the right time. So they're both looking for that same picture. They know you're going to do it. Um, now, if you get against a good defender and he goes, then you might have to adapt mid-run to, to check out, make another run. Um, so he started to get that. One of the key things there was, the relationship between myself and, and Warren, um, uh, Warren Joyce, who was the under-21s, because he was good enough to play for the under-21s. But Warren knew we had more time 
to work on that type of, of stuff because he was closer to the first team. He had to get them fitter, stronger, had to get them playing more like a first team. Um, and they were all stronger and older. The other thing about that was when you're learning a new skill, if you go and play with people who are stronger and older, you, you step up a level, you're less likely to learn the skill. So this is a good lesson for people. Just because someone's doing really well doesn't mean you just push them up to the next team. Because if they're still trying to learn a particular skill like he was, he was trying to improve his finishing. He's a guy called um, Colin Little who scored a lot of non-league goals. He was working on that with me, um, with him, with with um, after training, before training, uh, with Marcus on, on all the detail of that. And he was good on the detail, Colin. Um, so... He said, look, it's better to do that. And also, he's playing against lesser players. So, in training and in games, he, he got more success. And it was, he got that success. But he would go with the reserves as well. So, it was a good mix and match. Hardly played any reserve games. And then, all of a sudden, chance came in the first team. This was after I'd left. And he, he, he got the chance and he scored, stayed in. So, it was from the beginning of the season, we started to try and teach this stuff. It took about six months. The penny was dropping. He was getting better and better. And then he got in, in the first team. With another three months, he was playing for England. And he hardly played for the reserves. Gone from under-18 football to England virtually. So it, it's a good lesson in, in a few things, in the fact that working together with the player to make him understand, you know, we're not promoting you too fast because we want you to learn at this level. For him to understand, he, he had to really work at the learning. For the other coaches to sort of sacrifice, I'm not just getting the best player, you know, to put him in my team. And um, and the fact that, yeah, if you're learning something new, sometimes better to, to, to give him more of a scaffold with it that we did and, and to, to give him the opportunity to have more success. What struck me most about that story is right at the start when you spoke about when he's going through Osgood Schlatter's and... Um understanding the mood of the player mm. and obviously you had known his context before and as the other coaches did inside the building yeah. but say for that institutionalized knowledge if you had someone who just be yeah. newer to the club <clears throat> fresher fresh between both ears they could have misinterpreted in that situation yeah yeah i intriguing, think intriguing. Well, all the best youth systems have someone who's in touch with all the players all the way through so we had that with myself, Tony Whelan, Dave Bushell, Eamon Mulvey, sort of people who knew them all the way through, and then Jim Ryan. And, and so if you do, then you, you, this happens, because you have a kid who's 12, he's, he's fantastic. He gets to 15 and some of the coaches go, well, this kid's not really doing it, should we release him? And you go, hang on a minute, he's the best player at 12. You know, so he might have had a family problem or he's, uh, you know, he's had an illness or he's got a growth and develop, development. So, yeah, you need that that biography and also they they need to see that that common face at every age group you know otherwise you know you just have one coach he doesn't fancy it could could kill it all and obviously you would have encountered your fair share of personalities at united at carrington i mean is there anything that coaches were adept or would have been equipped with in terms of understanding the players more getting to know them or is it just true time spent on the training ground I think it's a lot of time spent on the training ground, people thinking about it, people becoming sort of experts in their sort of field. So, see, 11, 12 in England, when people are changing schools, they're going from, in, in United, they were going from one 
training ground to another or what have you. You know, the little differences, you know, changing school is quite a big thing, isn't it? And they're going from maybe seven aside or eight aside to 11 aside and all these little transitions you've got to be aware of can, can, can make a difference. Their family life, you know, parents splitting up or grandparents, you know, losing grandparents or whatever it is, you know, that's, you've got to know about all those things as a coach. Yeah. Um, that that's really important. Because I mean, I've heard you in previous podcasts and all before Paul speak about this trial like development occurring at United, having an atmosphere that ma- that uh, matches the environment, which is key. And I think the proof is in the pudding because if you look <clears> at your 20-year tenure there, there's been over 90 players that have played for the first team, over 20 internationals. So perhaps you could elaborate a bit more on that approach. Well, I suppose that's just how, how a lot of us felt, how it was brought up for us when we were uh, young players. Look, it's, it's incredibly serious. You go to Man United or, or wherever, and you know, I was when I was a young kid was going two nights a week. So now they're going four times a week, five times a week, game of the weekend, going on tours. It's so intense. A lot of academies, uh, you have to be careful not to just treat them like uh, professional footballers, you know. And if you do, you you've got to be careful. I've got a lot of sort of quotes from I think it's the eighteen hundreds, but the French philosopher Rousseau talking about you know that. The children are different. They have different minds. They have different ways of thinking. And if you try and impose your 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 sort of adult ways on them, you know they'll nod and they'll repeat and they'll they'll say yes. Why doesn't? And Paul, we were just speaking about um, Russo there and his theory of cooperation about the adults understanding the kids a little bit more. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's a long, it's a long time ago, but a lot of it sort of rings true for me. Um, about you know childhood and um, and really that you know kids kids if you take away that part of their childhood they, they they'll be lacking in strength later on it's the natural course of uh, of their development to be children before they men and uh, to me that just strikes home so much I think there's, there's a lot of being a child is so important to the imagination of a footballer I was on a on a call where. Uh, there, there was an interview with Arsene Wenger uh, while during lockdown, I think, you know, and he was saying, well, look, we come to we come to the game as children. You've never got to forget that. They're the top players, they come to the game. Of course, there's lots of organisation. There's, there's so much in it involved. There's, it's big money and all those things. He said, but you should never, as a manager, forget that they came to the, to the game as a child and we have to speak to the child within as well. Now, I think that gets forgotten even at the top level, but also within kids' level, they're children. Uh, and that's where the Russo uh, things, you know, take hold. That he talks about, well, you talk to the child and, you, you you know, they have different minds, different ways of thinking, and they'll nod and they'll they'll say yes, they understand. But it's a child. They don't have the same background of, of experiences that we have when we talk to them in a certain way. And, um, and also you think kids are... You know, these kids are going to academies 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. They're, they're going home and really they're still in the age of like dressing up at home, being Batman and Superman and having imagination to be messy and so on. So if you're not careful, we tell them all the adult way of doing it. It's all like a professional game. We're missing out on that that bit where they're, they're kids. This session I did with, the, with, uh, with Blackburn Rovers yesterday, um, we played Wembley singles, Wembley pairs, Wembley doubles. 
which is 2v2v2v2 two v two v two v two going into a goal. And there was overhead kicks and back heels and volleys. And, you know, they, they've got to try out things that they see on TV that Ronaldo does or, or Messi or, or whoever else. Harry Kane, how's he finished that, that goal? So I think if we, if we take that away um, and tell them exactly what to do all the time, we miss out on those childhood years of, of development of, of, um, of being a kid. Of course, I, I was lucky I had, I had a dad who he'd been the manager of Man United, manager of England youth when they won the, the European and World Youth when he was in his 20s. He was part of the World Cup squad with 1966 uh, with Sir Alf Ramsey. But inside him was the big kid who always wanted to do things different. He had an overhead hand sad back heel. So if you hit the ball at his head, he would dive forward on his hands and his feet would come up and he'd do a bicycle kick and hit the ball back with his heel. Now, he'd seen that when he played for Man United against Real Madrid, seen them in training. Hento was the winger from uh, Real Madrid. And he'd seen all these tricks. And he was always, if we went in the park, he was always doing these different tricks. Rabona, the different, and encouraged me to shoot from the halfway line, overhead kicks. Always do try something different, you know, because it's an entertainment. And he was full of that. He, he wanted to do all that. And Tony Whelan, who uh, worked with me at United, my dad was his coach in the youth team reserves. And he said, oh, I got there. I couldn't believe who this guy was. He's still in his 30s. He's playing with us. And he's he's doing overhead kicks and then celebrating like it's the World Cup final. And and I grew up with that influence, you know, to how I call it the spirit of football. We'd go on the park and he'd cross balls for me to dead, overhead kicks, diving headers. And a group of lads would be playing all ages in the corner and they, they'd come over and they'd go, Wilf, Wilf, can can we have a game we'll play against you so we get someone in goal it's me my dad someone else my brother we take on 15 of them and my dad say try and dribble past them all try and, and I try and dribble they're all ages different age groups I mean I was 19 and playing in Man United Reserves at the time but but I mean it was the sense of fun of it all that I I suppose it was imprinted on me I didn't know any different I just thought that's how you should do it you know um so that's how I like like to do it. Of course, there's a serious side. There's all those bits that to it. But it's got to be serious, fun and imagination for me, yeah. And is there an argument there that academies perhaps nowadays are too structured for that imagination to occur? Yeah, I think without doubt, yeah, they are. You've got some young coaches coming in and it just becomes like this is the way you progress. Now what's happening in academies, you had... You used to have three or four guys who were the under-18 coach, the youth development, so on. They were full-time. And all the other guys came part-time. Now, obviously, you, you think what he's got to improve. It has improved. There's no doubt about lots of full-time people. But those full-time people now are in academies and it's their main job. So they want to progress. And where there's, unfortunately, where there's more money is at the top, the 18, so on. So they want their team to play like the 18s when they're under-12s. Not all of them, but some of them. That's the danger because they want to progress. They want to show they can do the tactics and so on when maybe they should be doing overhead kicks, you know? It's interesting because what you pointed to earlier on, like football going in cycles, and we spoke about your observational tool in the case of Rashford and whatnot. I think it's a fine balance, right, isn't it? Making sure that's compatible within a philosophy, within a style of play. And I think for some people, 
whose perspective isn't perhaps as nuanced as yourself being in the game for as long as yourself with those set of experiences, they may be able to dictate otherwise. I think that really is the big danger here. That's it. And that's why you need a balanced coach education programme and you need within your staff a balance of understanding. What we'd say is that one of the things is, you know, what's tactically feasible has to be technically possible. So you might want to play with 4-3-3 and inverted fullbacks and so on. Then everybody's got to be able to play. You know, possession football, every position, the goalkeeper right the way through because if things have got a problem and there's not a good pass on, they have to be able to turn that down with disguise or turn or shield the body or move away. Because if they don't, what happens is they, oh, I'm a bit stuck. I'll play that 50-50 pass down the channel. Yeah. And now they lose it. So you need everybody to be able to, if you want to play that game, you know, then you've got to have everybody who's got the technical capability to get out of a problem, um, to, to play with disguise, to change the tempo, uh, to, to stay on the ball for the right time. Um, now that takes time. And that, I think, is the biggest part of coach education that needs improving. Um, how, how do we get them to that level to then uh, be able to play in, in a positional way and, and and so on? Well, you're exactly right. You can't have one without the other. You know, you can't have a stall street football and not the and not, not the understanding of possession possession football and and the tactics. You need both, but both work together. So if you have the right tactics and so on, then you will have the freedom and the technical work will come out like you see from Man City, get down the side. They've got Mares going dribbling, beating someone, getting down the outside, checks back, plays it to De Bruyne, who's in the perfect position to whip that first-time ball behind for, 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 um, for Haaland. Now, they've worked on that by taking the play to the other side first, enticing them all over, having the skills to get out of that with a one-two, change the play quickly, get it to Mares, who jinx, got his individual skill, comes back to De Bruyne, who's got the individual skill. And the, you know, so the two things go together. But if you have a predominance of one over the other, you're not going to be successful. 100%. And I mean, as we begin to wrap up this conversation, bring it to a close, Paul, as a lifelong student of the game, someone who's been involved in a game across multiple different facets, from player, from first-team coach, from academy coach, to your current role today, I mean, where do you see the game heading next? Where do I see the game heading next? Yeah, it's, it's fantastic, the development of the game. I was at a game on Wednesday, Wednesday, I think it was, Tuesday, Wednesday, here, and my local club, Altrincham, non-league, been going for years to watch them at different levels. They're in the trophy, over here, the trophy semi-final. They could get to Wembley at the weekend. It's fantastic for them. You used to have a great non-league team. And I've watched quite a bit of non-league football, but the other day I saw them play Notts County. And that's the best performance I've ever seen from a non-league team. I think it's Luke Williamson is the, is the coach. He's done an unbelievable job. I think he was at Swindon. He's been at Brighton under-23s. They played like Man City in non-league football on a not great pitch. With some players, you'd think in another non-league team, just wouldn't be able to do it. But everybody was confident on the ball. Everybody was relaxed. Everybody knew the position. Everybody kept the ball the right moment. It was a fantastic. And, and the, the goals, the goal scores like Harlan there, he scored 40 goals. So I, I think there's enough people, hopefully you see that and you see that 
the individual technical stuff, like we said, goes with the team stuff. And they're obviously doing it and the coaches encourage them to do it. I think there's a lot of players can play or would like to play, but the coaches don't always encourage it. And there's a coach who's done that at non-league level, tier five in England. I can say they were they were absolutely outstanding. You know, and the, co- the goal scorer has scored a record 40 goals for them. He's like Haaland playing in, in that level. More than Haaland, obviously, you know. He's got yeah. eight, probably got eight games of the season to go. So you're saying, well, where can it go? Well, if we've got people like that with a vision to do it and try it, it can go a long way. Um, I think the next evolution step is a couple of things that we, we've talked about, is that if the interdisciplinary team in all this can work together to look through the same lens, then they can make, as I said before, the whole much greater, you know, this greater than the sum of the parts through the connections. And I think it is the connections I would I would point to. It's the connection between the player and the ball, between the player and his teammate, and the, the, the connection to disconnect from his opponent. Get good at all those. Um and you'd be really good. So I, I think that yeah, the next bit in English academies definitely is is that interdisciplinary team and understanding um, how you have to get the individual skills and the, and then build up the connection between the individuals to the pairs, the units, as well as then the eleven aside. It's, it's the mixture between all three levels. It's that ability to look. We've got to, we used a really good. Um, symbol or analogy or no not analogy um, basically a diagram from a, a, a Portuguese a research academic research team and it's it's basically it's like a 3D or 2D on there but it's like supposed to be looking at 3D as the full pitch so you see the full, full pitch 11 aside and then you've got the three three thirds you've got the five lanes you've got the you know high press against the four three three against it so you've got to know that and then it's like sort of zooms down to the next level and it's zooming in to say the midfield where it might be 3v2. It might be four, you know, a 3-4-3 three, three against a 5-3-2 or, or, and, and there's, a, there's an overload and you zoom, your coach has got to zoom into that it's a small interaction. Or it might be down the side of the pitch where there's, say, a vertical unit, the fullback, the midfield player, the winger all working together. And you've got to be able to zoom into that. But then you've got to zoom lower into the, the duel between the fullback and the winger on the ball or off the ball at the far post defending. So almost you need the ability to take a biopsy of the game and be able to go through each one of those um, layers to be a good coach. Because if you kick off, you're going to look around and go, well, what formation are they playing? 4 3 3. We've got an advantage there. Great. Then it might go to the edge of the box, you go, hang on a minute, how, how are the defenders against their... Then it'll come like, oh, they just got a crossing. How did he get beat at the far post? What was his body angle? How did he jump? So, so you need the ability to go through each one of those and obviously coach them in a long-term development model, coach them all. So that's where I see the future going. Um, people getting even better at that. And probably with... Uh, more and more sort of specialists, but linked to this interdisciplinary team. Yeah. Speaking of connections, Paul, I've really enjoyed this one. Um, certainly one of my favorite podcasts today, kind of speaking through the interdisciplinary approach, speaking about 20 plus years of experience at Man United, working at the highest levels. But before we wrap it up, I mean, what would be the one bit of advice you'd have for any coaches who are looking to follow a similar path, such as yourself? Um, 
that's hard. One piece of advice. Um, one great advice we had years ago from Jim Ryan is coach what you like. You know, coach what you like. So that, I, that's what I do. I coach the things I like because then I have a belief in it. And the players will know that belief. Some some people coach what they think they should coach because it's the latest thing or, or so on. And then the players will know you're not quite behind it. You know, you've got to know that real uh, real belief is is really, really important. Um, so, yeah, that that would be um, another one. But, yeah, basically it's that cure. If you want to progress, coaching needs to progress, you have that curiosity to keep looking at those three lenses. And what I've found is by looking at that lens, I see another layer. So you, I've been looking at the 1v1, but it's never 1v1 because it's always affected by the other players around you. So now you look at those connections. What's the connection with the guy on the ball, off the ball? And you go, oh, yeah, but what about the next connection? So again, going back to that that um, interview with Wenger, he said something really great that I really believe. A lot of people say, oh, yeah, it's a connection between A and B. And he said, well, no, if... if if you want to really understand football and its complexities, football is really the connection from A to B, but what is C doing at the same time? And all three of them are in on the act. So the best teams, not all the time, but a lot of the time, they will be playing a pass. A will play it to B, and he's, he calls it technical empathy, so that he's going to be able to control it or, or play first time to set it for the third man who's already read what's going on. So Frank Lampard was great at that as well. So that's how you should be teaching. So there's a flow in those connections. That's why the scanning is important, but then the body uh, body language, the time of the next player and so on. So football is, if you want those flowing, I call it a flow of connections. And each time the connection is right, I say, well, there's a light bulb gone off. That's like a, he's, he's understanding. He's had a look, so that's a light bulb. Yeah, and before that, he's got his body half turned. That's a light bulb. That's a little idea. And then now, because he's done that, he can see his, his next man, that he, and he gets the ball to the right place for his first touch. That's another light bulb. See how many little connections there are. And now, already now, the connection he's got eye contact. That's another light bulb. The next one, he's reading the timing and the speed of the guy's run. That's the next one. So it's a series of those things always going on, and and the best teams get the best flow in that. So it's not A to B football, it's A passes to B, but already with C in mind. And then it, it goes on again, doesn't it, the next one. So now B becomes A, and then A becomes, you know, B, it goes to C, it goes to D. So B, A passes to B, B passes to C, but now A, uh, B is now passing to C, ready for him to pass to D. So it's not. It's, it's quite simple, isn't it? But you know, you, that's what you're thinking for. You're thinking about those things to, to get the right uh, connections and the right flow. That's a fantastic way to close the show, Coach. What you like? Some very pertinent yeah. advice. Yeah, Paul. Thank you so much for coming on. No, it's been great. As I say, love talking football anytime. I need to get over there, get over to Canada, come and see you all. That would be good. More than welcome anytime. That's great.